we are in another great parentheses, interlude, pause. We've had a few of them so far. This is the last one that we technically have. Keep in mind, as we finish chapter 16, chronologically, chapter 19 is next. But between 16 and 19, we have this additional details on the word Babylon, the subject of Babylon. We're only going to take a part of the first of, of this subjects of chapter 17 and 18. But God directs John's attention to see the remarkable vision of the false church in the end times. This false church before we see the union of the true church with the Lamb in the glory. So we get this subject of Babylon. It's been already declared. We've already discussed and studied part of this already a couple of times. We see back in Revelation 6.19 and, and chapter 14.8 declaring Babylon's fall. In 17 and 18, we just see more details of that fall that we did not get back in the previous chapters. You will see, if you do your search on Babylon, the word Babylon, you'll see 287 times in Scripture. It's the most used word of a city in the Bible except for Jerusalem. So you see the significance of that. Now, going back into the Old Testament, we learn that the founder of Babel, or we refer to as Babylon, was a person by the name of Nimrod who was unholy achievements of going against God and his people. We see it in Genesis 10. He was the archapostate of the patriarchal age of that time. And he is described as a mighty hunter before the Lord in Genesis 10:9, and it was a hunter of the souls of men. He grabbed and he looked, and, he, and it's no different today. The a false teachers always are looking and hunting for man's souls to follow him. That's when you always can have a sense. When, when a, if someone is always trying to say, follow me, you know there should be a red flag, yellow, at least a yellow flag that says, why am I going to follow you? Why, why should I follow you? Why do you? What is it you have that the word of God... I mean, when you sense that, just be aware. So this man, Nimrod, wanted people to follow him, and so we know the story in Genesis. Nimrod went out and went out and gathered about himself people and persuaded his associates, persuaded his, his relationships and followers to join him in building a city, a tower which should reach unto heaven, Genesis 11.4. And they called the tower Babel, which means the gate of God. 
then quickly changed by divine intervention and judgment to Babel, which means confusion. Why? Why did God intervene them building a city, a tower that was reaching up into the heavens? Gathering the people in one place. Because it was an absolute contrary, going against the command of God, that command of God told the people they were to disperse and go throughout all the world. This man said, no, I don't want that. I want what we would refer to, I would refer to as globalism. I want global, I want authority, I want rule, I want to be everyone under one place. I want to control one government. God didn't want to one government in human government. God created human government to have a dispersion so it was local governments that ruled over the people. Not a global government. And so we see here in the very beginning of time what we refer to, or I refer to, as globalism. And it's a serious problem with this is that God commanded the people to spread abroad. And he was going against God and said, no, no, follow me. Now, who is Nimrod? Oh, he just happens to be the grandson of Ham, who is the unworthy son of Noah. So he wasn't too far from the flood here. But his character is revealed in his exposure, if you remember Ham, exposing his father's shame after they come off, coming off the, the ark. And to those familiar with the Old Testament, the name Babylon is associated with organized idolatry, blasphemy, and the persecution of God's people. If you do the studies, you'll see that's where it's always related to. Babylon was later the capital of the empire that truly conquered Judah. Babylon to the Jews, when you said Babylon, it was like Mufasa. I mean, it was just a moment here. Like, why? Because they knew Babylon was the picture or pinnacle of, of evilness. This is where the center of evilness was at that time. It was the embodiment of cruelty. And it was the enemy of God's people. And it was lasting. And they, they just entwined in their whole culture was of sin and carnality and lust and greed. It was just permeated in that culture. Completely against God. And so the concept of Babylon is greater than Revelation 17 and 18 that we will read and study. It's, it's greater than the Antichrist's reign during the tribulation time. Babylon was present in John's day with the Roman example of, 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 of Babylon. And also in our day. And many of us would say, oh, I know what city I would say would be the Babylon of today. We have many cities that are Babylon of today. We just don't know what city it will be during the tribulation time. That we do not know. For sure. Many will say, we believe it's going to be in Rome. The Roman Empire rising up and it will be in Rome. 
on some language, they, they, because it sits on seven hills, but actually there's more than seven hills. And it's not mountains in some of your translations. They're on little tiny hills. And so I, I don't lean toward that it's a guarantee Rome, Roman uh, central place. Now, as we talk about the great harlot, many believe it's going to lean toward, because Babylon is really a two-part of Babylon, a religious part of Babylon, and there is also the commercial, political part of Babylon. We're just going to take the, the harlot, the great harlot today, and that's the religious part. We'll get into the rest of the studies of chapter 17 and 18 that talks about the Antichrist and the political part of that. But as we think this through, this concept of Babylon is nothing new. It's just not the ultimate Babylon that is going to be rebuilt, the city. It's going to be a city. Babylon was always a city. And under the Antichrist, Babylon in both the religious and commercial aspects will have influence over the earth as never before in the tribulation time. Far greater, worse than it, that we can even pick any city today or any area of that. So globalism is seen at its fullest point here in the end times of the tribulation. And we will see signs of it happening even today because things are setting up for this globalistic one world religion, one world government. It is being set up now. You can see it. It's as clear as can be. It is no question in our minds. We have the privilege of seeing what God said was going to happen in prophecy. Now, if you're sitting there and going, I don't see that. Oh, please. Please, please, please. Come, keep showing up. More frequently, if you're not coming very often. More frequently. Because we can sit down and show you in real time the things that are going on in this world that is setting these things up. Now, as we study the Babylon study, you can go back today and read Isaiah chapter 13 and 14 that speaks to Babylon. Also, Jeremiah chapter 50 and 51. And of course, you're studying now Revelation 17, 18, but I recommend you read ahead. Study it. Digest it, think it through, create questions. And then as we go through the study, over the next how many weeks it takes me to get through 1718, you will see what the Lord has shown you and, then, and, and what, what else he's going to show you through the teaching. So with that, let me read 1 through 6 and then let's see how we do here. Revelation chapter 17, verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. 
The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great. So that is her name, right? The great harlot's name is Mystery Babylon the Great. The mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. I can't even imagine what John experienced seeing all this. Because remember, he just, if you remember in chapter 16, uh, we just saw those last two bowls of the seven bowls, the sixth bowl and seventh bowl, where, yes, the Euphrates were dried up, but notice in, in the seventh bowl at the end of chapter 16 that things were shaken. I mean, we're talking a, an earthquake that shaked the, the, the earth and the heavens, something that no one has ever experienced, ever. Splitting. Literally splitting in three directions. The land there. And right there in Jerusalem, just splitting it up. I mean, the, 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 the sounds, if you, if you notice, there was just lightning and thunder and noise. I mean, they couldn't even probably put words to what it sounded like and felt in that moment. That's what he was going through. But when you take a look and see and think this through, and we see in this first, first verse that one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me. So John was very aware of what the angels looked like. He could tell the difference between the seven angels. I find that fascinating and good to know, right? Because sometimes I used to, in the early days, go, angels all look the same. I, I didn't know, because I, I, I just didn't know. But when I find these verses like this, I go, oh, angels vary in what they look like. That's good to know. And he could tell which one. We don't know exactly which one. But one of the seven angels, who had already poured out the bowls, noticed this, talked with me. That means, can you picture the angel kind of zoop alongside John saying, John, come, you got to see this. I'm going to let you see it. Let me give you an insight here, man. Let's go. Let's, come, come on, John. Let's see. Oh, can you imagine that? Come, I'll show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. With whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. He clearly communicates to John exactly what is going to be the consequence of what he just witnessed. Remember, because the Battle of Armageddon was already taking place. We see the kings that were 
pulled in by, by God's divine powers, really leading them to, to this moment of time. You see God's judgment from the bowls of earthquakes and the thunders and the loud noises and the land splitting and oh, the movement, the shaking of the heavens and the earth. John's like, what is all this coming? But notice here he says, come, I will show you. There are three times in the Revelation where an angel comes and says, come, you John, you got to see this. I, I, come, I'm going to show you something. When was the first time? The first time was in Revelation chapter 4. You can go back to that if you'd like. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, And after these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here. I will show you things which must take place after this. Now, all of a sudden, he's been called up to come up to see what? To the, see the heavenlies. What a moment to see the heavenlies. He's going to be called up to see this. And what did he see? Look in chapter 5. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep, because John's like, right? Who can, who's worthy to take the scroll? Who's worthy to purchase this, this world back to God? Who can do this? Who's worthy? And John was weeping and crying because he didn't know. He didn't see. I don't know how this is all going to play out. And all of a sudden, the elder, one of the elders comes and says, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders. What? stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into heaven. Oh, John had the beautiful pleasure of being called up to heaven to see the heavenlies, but to see Jesus in a slain state. We sang about that today, did we not? who was slain for us? John got to see. Here's the second one where all of a sudden now the second here is now the angel says, come, I want to show you something. Some details, you need to see this. And so when he takes a look here, now we see as he comes to see, he sees the great harlot judgment. It's a guarantee there's going to be a judgment upon Babylon. And there's never any doubt regarding the fate and the ultimate failure of Babylon. They're going to build a great city. They're going to have globalism and power. They're going to have power in a religious factor, and they're going to have a po uh, power politically and economically. That is what the tribulation period of seven years is going to look like. That's not an if, and it's not that you will have, those who are left behind will have any power to deal with it. That's why I tell you, be saved now, go and surrender your, to Jesus, believe in him today. Do not push him away from believing in him. Trust, that's another word, trust, commit your life to him, and be saved. Allow the Spirit of God to 
born, be born again, to regenerate. Because if you do not believe in who Jesus is and what he has done to pay for your sins, he was slain for you. And the rapture happens and tribulation period starts. Don't think you're going to survive. We've already talked about how many of people will die because of just the, the, the poison of the waters and, and the earthquakes and just natural destructions and everything else that God just takes his hands off of it and just lets things fall apart. And so we see here in chapter 17, this great harlot, this mystery Babylon the Great, who sits in a religious power over a worldwide economical or uh, ecumenical religious system that develops during the first three and a half years of the tribulation. I believe the rapture will happen. I believe in the start of that tribulation period, there is going to be some catastrophic events that's going to cause a opportunity for the Antichrist to be take and, and bring in through, I believe, a religious gathering to sway the people to move in the direction to trust this man to, for economic purposes and, to, and for worship purposes and, and coming as one purpose between the major religions. And that will happen with the uh, signing of a treaty that allows the Jews to have a, some kind of a temple built on the Temple Mount, the Muslims somehow being able to worship there, and those who... I believe, who are, uh, they were not raptured, they were left behind, but they were part of a religious system, so we'll talk about that a little bit more, will form and gather together as one world religion. The great harlot of the great Babylon. And when we take a look at this period of time in this three and a half years, there's going to be a peace. There's not going to be this war between the Muslims and the Jews. There's no longer going to be the Muslims and, and uh, other things are, are, are killing Christians because they were all accepting. And so what happens is, is we see these things already showing signs of that movement of that one world religion in the world today. This great harlot, she will lead many waters or multitude of people on the earth who are deceived and led into spiritual adultery. Through this world, worldly religion, which will require those here during that period of time to worship the Antichrist instead of the one true Christ. As a religious system, Babylon came into being long before Christianity. But a satanic imitation took place with an anticipation of the Messiah, and we see according to religious history and legend the Babylonian 
religion was founded by the wife of Nimrod, the great-grandson of Noah, and her name was Semiramis, and she was the high priestess of idol worship. And she gave birth to a son who she claimed was conceived miraculously. And the son was named Tammuz and was considered a savior. That's how she promoted her son. Many ancient artifacts remain with that familiar motif of this this, this false religion that was started by her. And she became the mother and child concept that you were to worship. And you see in, in history, this mother with her child displayed with the crown to be worshipped. And it's through this, through the centuries, we see this same false religion, the same kind of worship the mother with the child permeated through the, the history. And so it was also stated that this Tammuz was killed by a wild beast and then miraculously brought back to life 40 days later, which then set up a celebration that is equal or like what we refer to as Easter. I don't celebrate that. I'll, I like Easter. I love, I love the celebration of our resurrected Lord. <laughs> Not bunnies, don't get me wrong. We don't celebrate bunnies. I'll eat the candy. But I don't celebrate the, the bunnies. I keep it on the celebration, which is true, which is our resurrected Lord. Amen? We also see in the scripture, Baal was the local Canaanite name for the Babylonian Tammuz. You may be familiar with that name. But the Bible makes specific mentions of some of the features of this classic religious Babylon that we will see in the old, now written here in the scripture, in the uh, tribulation time. Babylon became the fountainhead of adultery, the mother of every heathen and pagan system in the world came from this start. And it's the mystery religion that originated, that spread by various forms throughout the whole world. And people have done many, many studies, many books on this. And it is identical to the mystery of, of iniquity that plagues so heavily in Paul's day when we read it in his letters. And it will become the fullest development of this false religion will take place when the Holy Spirit has departed with the church and the Babylon of the apocalypse holds great sway during the seven years. Now this birth, the mother and with the child concept in her arms is a religious concept that we see. And let me give you some examples because what you're saying, what there's really saying is you worship creation and not the creator when your focus is on the mother child and not on the creator of that mother and child. Do you see the, do you see the subtleness there? 
Ezekiel protested in Ezekiel 8.14 when people were weeping and crying for Tammuz. Tammuz. Weeping and crying for the sun because they worshipped him. They were weeping. And Ezekiel had to correct them. Jeremiah mentions the heathen practice of making cakes for the queen of heaven in Jeremiah 7.18. Worshipping the queen. Or offering incense to the queen of heavens, Jeremiah 44, and also, yeah, throughout chapter 44. Again, he had to correct them. What are you doing worshiping the mother? You're not to worship the mother. You're not to bow down to her. No, 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 no. Mary never did that. Nowhere in the scripture. Mary disappears in the, uh, the book of Acts chapter 2. We never see anything less remaining of Mary after that. Only when the prayer was happening, she never demanded to be worshipped. She, she was just like them, worshipping the Lord. Then we see this concept moved on to Astoreth and Tammuz, same son's name, in another part of this time frame. And then when you keep going down the timeline, we see Isis and Horus, who was the mother-son concept, worshipped in Egypt. Then Aphrodite and Eros in Greece, that concept of mother-son was then worshipped in Greece the same way. Then we see Venus and Cupid. Oh, you love Cupid. It's, it's February, Valentine's Day. No, no, that, that, that was worship. Venus and Cupid in Italy was worshipped. Don't do that. And many others that throughout all the distance can see this mother-son concept of worship. And so within 1,000 years, the Babylonianism had become the religion of the world which had rejected the divine revelation. Things changed in the 16th century by the Great Reformation which brought light to what was happening in these false religions. But we see this great harlot is going to be sitting on many waters. The great harlot, this religious Babylon, sits on many waters. Why? Because she presides over many nations. We see in verse 15, put your eyes on 15, it'll be over many nations, peoples, and tongues. It means a worldwide universal impact that this one world religion will have. She has a universal international influence over specifically 10 kingdoms that will be set up. Now, if you've done your studies and you know some of the history of the, of the different Roman clubs and, and European unions and uh, economic, Europe, world economic forums and all these things, you can see it today and all the way back in the early days, this same concept that they've been developing is continuing. It, we, most people, most of us, were blind. We didn't know any of this stuff was going on. What changed our ability to see these things going on? The internet. Internet opened our eyes, and now we're able to go see and read and listen to them with our own, our own ears. I mean, it will curl your toes when you listen to what King Charles has said, and many others. 
you were like, wow, they're, like, they're serious. Yes, they're serious. The CBDC is coming, my brothers and sisters. The digital currency is coming. That's how they're going to have the economic control. That, when you have economic control, you can get political control. And how do you get political control and economic control? But political control is by swaying the masses of people to move that direction, which is through a religious means, a following of something, a commonality. What brings people together? Crisis? Common enemy? These things you can see how it plays out. And those who study that in their part of their what they do for a living, you can you can you understand these things. But this great harlot will have influence over these ten nations because of the power of uniting as a religion to get people to follow and to commit to follow the Antichrist, this world leader to have power and to follow and to trust him through this religious means. So this religious Babylon intoxicates these kings, as it says, the inhabitants of the earth will be made drunk. They won't be in their right mind. They're not going to be thinking rightly. It's, as there's, it's been said, and I think it was Karl Marx, I believe. He says, in, in, in when you see world leaders, especially bad, 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 bad ones, you can see that he says religion is the opiate of the masses. And it is true. Because of empty religion is the opiate of the masses. When you're not, literally don't know the word of God and follow the word of God, you're literally going to a place that's not teaching the word of God. You're literally going to an empty religion, then you're very prone to be swayed by the masses in the media and, the, and the, the, their techniques of controlling your mind. That's why you filter all things by the word of God. Don't do it because of me. Don't because of Chavery Chapel. Don't do it. Please don't do that. I just need you to understand the word of God so that you have the wisdom of God to make right decisions so that you don't get deceived. But it's your responsibility to study and to know and to understand and hear the voice of God. Because they're going to be able to draw the, the influence. Because remember, the great harlot is actually empowered by Satan. The Antichrist, that man, is going to be empowered by Satan. The power is, is going to be incredible to influence people during the tribulation time. So this idea of fornication, it's in, if you look up the definition, it's really all about the sexual aspect of it. But I think it's, it's really the idolatry, the spiritual uncleanliness that is being worked here. And it's often very strongly associated throughout the Bible with idolatry. And these false religious systems are going to play with people's minds and say, Everybody's accepted. You can live however you want to live as long as we all have some commonality here. And we'll unite the people. Now people say, I can't imagine that happening. Well, hold on. 
I'll give you some more examples. Verse 3. And so he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. So the angel took John by the spirit into the wilderness. And the wilderness, the word here is desolate. Not wilderness as in trees and stuff. We're talking desert, desolate. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. So John here is carried away in the desolate nature of the wilderness. Wow, what a great place to be to, re- to hear and to see the judgment that's coming upon Babylon. And we see sitting here that this harlot is sitting on a beast. She's sitting on the actual beast. We know out of Revelation chapter 13 verse 1, the beast is the Antichrist and his dictatorship, his government. So it appears based on the language here, as she's riding the beast, it indicates one who has, in my opinion, is been used by the political structure and the forces of the economic structure has used the great harlot, the religious part of Babylon, to get where they needed to go to bring peace in the first three and a half years. To bring this coalition around of one religion, working together, blending together, staying committed, and that is why there was peace and why the Jews will be able to rebuild their temple on the Temple Mount. And I say used. Because later on, we're going to see what happens to the great harlot. She's going to be dumped quicker than anything else at three and a half year mark. She'll be destroyed. They'll use her and then abuse her. And that's exactly what we'll see happening. So we see here, as she's influencing and and helping to bring about the political power of the beast, we see the connection in verse 11 where the beast will become the eighth king on the other side of this dominant influence that she has now over the nations, the ten nations. Those ten nations are going to turn on her at a certain point. But here, her association and blasphemy and Satan's beast is clearly seen from God's perspective. But the people on the earth, she will look quite religious. This one world religion will look so good and so appealing and so welcoming that people will will grab to anything just to feel good. To feel like they're they're comforted and, and to feel like there's some structure for them because there's chaos going into this three and a half years. And so when we see this happening, this, this, religious, this religious harlot is going to have this a sense of faith that everybody wants. Now, this faith, I believe, is not based on the biblical faith that you and I believe. It's not based on Jesus, but on the command or commonality of social and political agenda of the common good to save the planet. We see those signs already happening. 
It's everywhere. We must rally around the number one problem in our world today is climate change. Keep that mark. What will bring people together? You have the largest of religions. I've already changed. Not about reaching the lost. Not about discipling people up in the faith. It is about climate change. Show me that in the Bible. We are to rule over the climate. We're not to have the climate rule us. Oh, I could go on more on that one. I better, I better stay calm. But if it's not climate change, it's universal acceptance of all religions as one. Again, you can think, if you've been watching and seeing in, in some very large world religion, Saying that it's only a matter of, um, I'll say it. Pope John Paul II made a declare very clearly there will be a time and over time that the Catholics will accept the Muslims. And they're going to be over time and others' acceptance of anything and everybody who believes in a false religion. It goes against the word of God. Now when you see these things, look up. Jesus draws near. And so if it's not the climate change, it's not that one world religion. No, no, it will be the worship of creation over the creator. What do I mean by that? People are now worshiping the fact that you can choose, as a child, if I'm a male or female. I can choose. Every aspect of God's design, I can change and warp that however I want to. Meaning, I have a say over creation. And I don't really care what the Creator says. See, these are the things, when you see them, when you put them in perspective of what the scripture says, you've got to stay focused. Don't get swayed by the propaganda. And guess what? We're going to be persecuted for our faith. Remember, we walk a narrow path of strict belief. Do you understand? So if you don't say, well, you're very restrictive pastor. Yes, I know exactly what I'm restrictive of. I, do, I don't want to go outside the bumpers. I want to stay in the lane. I like strikes. I used to be a bowler. I like strikes. I don't like gutters. And I'm telling you that religion today is in the gutter. Because they're not staying true to the word of God. They're teaching and allowing the things of this world to absolute pervert what they're teaching. You and I cannot allow the enemy to get in your head to teach you these false things. I'm here to warn you, plead with you, beg you, please. 
Do not allow false teaching to come in and think you can live however you want to live outside of the word of God. You're leading yourself to destruction. You'll really mess your head up, your life up, your family. There's consequences into your decisions. So please don't, don't, don't push away the Spirit of God who's convicting your heart that says you need to change. Just trust God. The one who created you. The one who has the he has it in the palm of the hand. If you're a born-again believer, you're in his palm of his hand. If you're not, you're in the palm of Satan's hand. And you don't have to be there. I think that's what the flavor, what you'll start seeing more and more of, is the gathering of people like-mindedness around those kinds of topics. Verse 4, the woman has arrived in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having her head a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. Notice this religious system is going to have lavishness, man. Look at this. This is These golds and precious silver and all these things, these are rare things. They're very expensive things. So this religious system will have lots of money and lots of gold and lots of pomp and circumstance to parade around to get people to very lavish stuff. The beast is going to be in scarlet. It means power in the scripture. It means it's economic and political rulers of power has scarlet. That is what is going to be very prominent of the people we'll see in the tribulation time. And on her forehead, a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and the abomination of the earth. And so clearly, she's marked. Clearly, they know who she is. Clearly, they knew who to follow. Roman prostitutes frequently wore headbands with their name on it, so people clearly knew who she was and what her purpose was. And this is a very stark contrast between the woman in Revelation chapter 12 representing Israel, God's people, versus the woman representing the adulterous false religion here in this verse, or this chapter. But the mystery Babylon the Great is, is not a, uh, it's a title, is not like a literal um, it's, it's representing the spiritual aspect of the totality of the one globalized government system of that tribulation time. And we see that spiritual, that mystery aspect. It's just an imitation. It's just a representation of the people who don't know who they're really truly following. They're following a religion and they're not following Christ. And the source is this mother who is of all idolatry of abominations and spiritual adultery of harlots. That is who she represents. She'll do whatever it takes to make money from the people. As long as I can get the money from the people, we'll, we'll, we'll get you to do whatever, we'll, we'll help you through anything. Just pay me the money. I'll, I can help you with your repentance and through your other aspects of your life that you know you just feel 
condemned and shamed about, so let me help you feel better about your sin that you will choose to continue to live in. That's a bad religion. When they make you feel good about your sins and not point out the word of God so that the spirit of God can convict you so you repent of your sins. See, this harlot must be absolutely large, like it's the biggest branch of religious institution out there that we've ever seen. And she is going to be the embodiment of Satan's own ecumenical movement of this time. The religion of the world system will come about through this spiritual dead religion. See, our world, strong with the philosophy that it doesn't matter what you believe. As long as you believe something of some higher power, it must be all the same that we all worship. And as it's preparing this harlot seduction is through that lie seducing people to think you can have any religion and just all, as long as you're worshiping a higher power, we're good. And so we see this casual disregard for the truth which has crippled the church today. Because you're not teaching the word. You're not reading the word. You're not studying the word. You don't know the word. That's why people get crippled. And finally, verse 6, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. I can imagine. She's probably without words. What did we see here? She was drunk, overwhelmed with such Celebration. The celebration of what? Of the killing of all the Old Testament saints for their faith. That was like celebration and partying of the false, t false religions in those days. And when you look in the New Testament and even going into the martyrs of the Jesus, which is during, there's going to be people who give their life to Jesus and they're going to be martyred for that. So it's the full spectrum from the very beginning of time to the very end of time of the, of the, of the tribulation. When the, during that period of time when there's people come to Christ during the tribulation, they're going to be killed for their, 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 their stake for Jesus, not this false religion, and she's going to kill them. And that's going to cause a celebration and a drunkenness because of the killing of, that, of those who believe in Christ. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. Like, how? This is real? Is this like really happening? So the woman not only persecutes believers, she also reveals in her persecution of the godly or the ungodly drunk celebration in wine. And all John can do is be amazed because he wasn't, he wasn't this, this wasn't pagan persecution like it was in his day. 
It's like religious, it's like this religious error and persecution is happening even today. And in, 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 in the end times, this is what was going to happen at the end of time. And it's just a pseudo church thirsty for the blood of the saints. He's like, what? Oh, amazing. Do you realize that the worst enemy against the true church is a false church? Do you realize that? You can be, you and I can sit here and be just absolutely committed to the word of God and our relationship with Christ. And the biggest persecution that came to us when we started in 2011, other churches. Not non-believers. They just thought we were crazy coming from California. It was the church. The biggest hurts that we receive, even in the church body, are those who walk away from the truth and then turn on you. That's the the biggest hurt. But this is what's going to happen. We should never forget that some of the most vicious persecution conducted during against true Christians in historically has been in the name of the church. Do you know how much destruction the church has caused through the centuries of killing other believers in the name of God? The Roman Catholic Queen Mary ruled England and was known as Bloody Mary. Do you know why? It's not because of the drink. She wasn't a drunkard. She might have been, but she, it was not because of Bloody Marys here. She, she killed 288 Christians and burnt them at the stake because of their stand for Christian truth that happened between 1555 and 1558. Why they're called a bloody Mary. So, closing thought here, and we'll go to communion. I knew it was going to be a little bit. We are told that it would be a most excellent thing if the different denominations of Protestantism could be united in one great body. Couldn't we all, the churches here, Get together and let's pray together and let's just unite and support one another and, and we just let's come together around the world. All the Protestant churches, let's come together as one, united, a great body. And then we should join hands with the three so-called Catholic churches, the Anglian, the Greek, and the Roman, and we should be able to come together. And do you realize how much power and money is available for us to make change now in the world governments? Do you realize how powerful that is still going on today? And they say if we do this, this vast united church would dominate the world. With financial and political sway, and we finally we can get who we want into power. But we must remember, my brothers and sisters, that such a union should not be the it would not be the body of Christ. It would not be the body of Christ at all. It would simply be a worldly confederacy of saved and unsaved, just like this great Babylon, the great harlot, 
that we're talking about today. The body of Christ remains undivided in the spirit of Christendom. Even with all the unhappy schisms that take place. Because it is the composing of all truly saved people who have by the Spirit's baptism been made one in Christ. We're one in Christ who are born again. Not because of the title of what church you go to does not unite us. It's by the baptism of his spirit and his work in our lives that unite us and we are the one true church. And he says, I will, I will separate the sheep from the goats at the end. I will separate the chaff from the that's not your role and my role. We just stay focused and true to the word of God and unite and fellowship with like-minded people of the truth. Amen? Amen.